Well, if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn to Exodus uh, chapter 17. And we'll be reading this morning from Exodus 17, verse 8, uh, up through chapter 18. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a blue and white copy or a blue copy around you. Feel free to grab that and use that as your own this morning. <clears throat> Hear these words. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial and a book. Recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, the God of my father was my help. And delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, or and he sent he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the, the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, "'What is this that you are doing for the people?' Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. 
Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with, with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, and I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. So <clears throat> we find ourselves in the story of Exodus. We've been going through Exodus for quite a while. We'll continue on through this book. Thanks, Max. We'll continue on through this book for um, the next couple of months. But if you remember, um, Israel has now been freed from the oppression of Egypt. And Moses is taking them, and as we said, um, he's taking them into the wilderness. And last week we talked about the wilderness as a place of healing. God reveals himself as the, as the God who heals. And he brings them out into a place of confusion and chaos, right? Where he doesn't tell them exactly the plan and, and where they're going to go. He just says, trust me, I'm going to take you out into the wilderness to heal you. And so <clears throat> we said that uh, the people need not only freedom, but they need to be healed. Because without healing, freedom doesn't do us a lot of good. It's kind of like leaving home, uh, being excited about leaving your parents behind. And then you realize, oh, like all this freedom, but I'm still jacked up. And so uh, the need to continue to find healing and God is, is using the wilderness, remember, to teach them, to test them, and to show them what it looks like to live as a free people. Because the entirety of their existence as a people for 400 years, all they knew was the, the, the lash of the whip. They knew what it was like to live as slaves, but not as free people. And so now God is teaching them what it looks like to depend on him, to trust him, to live freely. And so we find here in chapters 17 and 18 somewhat of an epilogue to uh, the first 17 chapters of the story of their exodus, and, and a prologue to the rest of the book, chapters 19 to 40. So this kind of serves as somewhat of a hinge in the book of Exodus. It's summarizing all that's come up to this point. You see that um, in places like when they're talking about Moses' children's name. You see them uh, talking about Gershom, and we, talk about, we talked a long time ago about, in chapter 4, Moses' alienation and why he named his son Gershom uh, that. And then we see now he's had a second son named Eleazar, and he talks about escaping uh, the sword of Pharaoh. So there's some summarizing that's happening, and then they're about to go to Mount Sinai. So there's some looking forward to the rest of the book of Exodus, and frankly, the rest of the Pentateuch, the first five books that Moses writes, the Torah. And so we see here, uh, there's, a, there's a lot we could do with this passage. There's a lot of firsts that are mentioned here that foreshadow events that are going to come here in the next uh, few weeks and months uh, in the story of Israel. This is the first time that Joshua is mentioned 
in the Bible. Um, Joshua becomes a key figure. He's Moses' apprentice, and he's going to be the one that takes Israel into the promised land in the book of Joshua and Judges. It's the first time that her is mentioned, right? And her, we think, uh, Josephus, an early Jewish scholar, says that this is actually Moses' brother-in-law, Miriam's uh, husband, right? And so it's the first time he's mentioned. It's the first military campaign of any sort uh, for God's free people, right? The very first time they've ever gotten into a fight, right? And so uh, Moses tells Joshua to select some people and to go and to fight against the Amalekites, uh, fight against Amalek, the Amalekites, it's the first time that Moses is told to write something down, and that's going to become important as we get to Mount Sinai when he's writing down uh, the, the Ten Commandments and the law. And this is the first, in chapter 18, the first uh, setup of an official judiciary system, right, which is going to be important to uh, this new society to have a way that they handle judicial and administrative matters in a way that leads to justice and not injustice, right? They've come out of massive uh, kind of systemic and structural and interpersonal injustice. And so God's concerned that they set up a just society. And so all of that's happening here. But there's really two big problems that we see Moses and the people of God encountering in chapters 17 and 18. One is external, right? It's, it's, uh, it's the Amalekites, right? The first army that kind of comes up against them and fights them. So there's this external problem that begins to weigh on Moses, and we're going to see becomes a theme, a recurring theme. They fight with the Amalekites really on and off for generations to come. And then there's these growing kind of judicial issues, which are kind of internal organizational issues within uh, the people of God. Now, the Amalekites, um, it's interesting, who are the Amalekites? The Amalekites were uh, essentially people who uh, they preyed on people that were weak and uh, not battle-tested. We learn in Deuteronomy 25 that they actually would find the weak, the vulnerable, the elderly, uh, the disabled, and they would kind of attack weaker people groups. And uh, this, this kind of battle goes all the way back to Genesis 36. Amalek was actually Esau's grandson. And so uh, there's kind of a history here. So essentially distant cousins of, uh, of the people we find here. And so um, they, they live by attacking weak people and plundering their wealth. And so there's this thing that's going on kind of outside, and then there's this thing that's happening inside. <clears throat> Here's what I want to point our attention to this morning is, uh, is really God kind of pulls back the curtain. Moses pulls back the curtain for us. And he shows us a little bit about some of the challenges that leaders face in uh, the wilderness. And so I want to talk through... Uh, this idea of living within our limits, right? So in this season of the wilderness journey, we see Moses coming face-to-face with his limits as a person and as a leader. The word that you'll notice in common, there's a thread that runs through these two stories, very similar language if you read the Hebrew, between chapter 17 and chapter 18. And so um, there's one word that kind of ties these two passages together. It's the word kabed. The word kabed is the word that comes across, if you look in chapter 17, verse 12, Moses' hands grow weary in the midst of uh, this battle with the Amalekites. So they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it and they essentially hold up his hands. And so uh, Moses is drawing attention here to this word kabed. Moses' hands were heavy. Um, In chapter 18, we see that again in verse 17. It's the same word. Moses' father-in-law Jethro says, what you are doing is not good. You and the people will wear yourselves out for this thing is too heavy for you. It's the same word, kabed. Kabed means heaviness or weariness or a burden or something that's become so, um, so big that it's just oppressing us, 
right? It's the same uh, idea that Moses carries forward in Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy is kind of a helpful um, uh, way to, to look at this passage. Deuteronomy chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 12. I'll throw it on the screen so you guys can see it. Moses, in reflecting back on uh, his wilderness journey sometime later, uh, talks about what he was feeling. He kind of gives us a little bit of a window into his inner world. And, he, and he's, it's, it's 40 years later, at the end of the wilderness, he's reflecting back on all of God's lessons that he's learned in the wilderness. And here's what he says. At that time, I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of the heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. But how can I bear by myself the weight and the burden of you and your strife? So this is what what Moses is feeling here, is he's beginning to come face to face with his limitations as a leader. We see at least three of those limitations mentioned here, three limits that Moses mentions here in terms of the heaviness and the weight of leadership. He talks about physical limitations, right? Literally, his hands were weary. He could not hold his hands up any longer. He talks about emotional limitations. He talks about the burden and the weight and the oppression of carrying the kind of relational and emotional weight of the community. And then we see organizational limitations. Jethro kind of points out like, hey, the way that you're dividing up labor here and handling the people is not good. This system has kind of outgrown you, right, and needs to change. And so Moses is, for the first time, coming face-to-face with these limits. And so the question is, what's he going to do about his limits? And there's some signs that Moses was approaching the edge, the edge of his limits, of his limitations. And, and I want you to think about, in your own life, um, if, if any of these things ring true, if this resonates, if you see some of these things that work in your own life, these are signs that you may begin, to, like Moses, beginning to approach the edge of your limits. He's physically and emotionally exhausted. When we get to the edge of our limits, we begin to face our limits, we find ourselves exhausted. We begin to say things like, I'm really tired, I feel depleted, right? When we're beyond our limits, when we're living beyond our capacities, we actually find that we are burning out in some cases, right? We just feel numb, we, we feel tired, right? Physically, emotionally, intellectually. His, uh, th- he was facing an enemy He was facing some resistance, and he was facing these challenges where the strength and complexity had overwhelmed his personal capacity and competencies, right? The Amalekites were stronger than the Israelites. Every time Moses' hands went down, the Amalekites started to prevail, which was a sign that he was up against an enemy that was stronger than they were, more experienced in war, better technology, better weapons, right? And so he had faced... Uh, an enemy that was overwhelming his capacity. This growth of the community kind of internally, right? The people were growing, and the number of cases that they were bringing to Moses was just overwhelming his capacity and his competency. It's one of the signs that you're approaching the edge of your limits. You're up against challenges in your life and obstacles in your life that what used to work for you doesn't work for you anymore. The complexity, the strength the feelings of insecurity now begin to overwhelm you, um, and you feel insecure. You feel frustrated. You feel like you don't have what it takes. Uh, there was also uh, a dependency on Moses that was beginning to emerge structurally where Moses had to be the guy that had all the answers for the community. There's this bureaucracy that begins to grow up, and Moses is the bottleneck. One of the signs that you're at your limitations, whether you're a boss or a parent 
or uh, a manager of some sort, or whatever, is that you, uh, you are bottlenecking, right? Everybody else, you become a bottleneck, and there's a dependency on you. Notice Moses said, uh, they, they come to me to inquire of God. There's this kind of subtle dependency that Moses has permitted and allowed to creep up where everything had to come through him, right? He was the guy that went to seek God. He was the guy that had the answers. And, when, and that's sometimes what happens when we're beyond our limits is we, we create a situation where others are dependent on us in ways that are not helpful for them or for us. And if we're honest, we don't really have the answers anyways. Uh, the, also, we see that there are these bureaucratic structures that were not leading to life in the community, but per, were perpetuating conflict and hurt and injustice. And then finally, uh, one of the signs that Moses was burning out, that he was exhausted beyond his limits, was his friends and family begin to call it out. Those closest to him are saying to him, hey, you're running at a pace that's not good for you. Hey, this is not good for the people. And so those closest to him who could actually see uh, how he was operating begin to call these things out and say, hey, something needs to change. This is not leading to peace. This is leading to chaos. So Moses is confronted with the decision about his limits. Now, here's the reality for all of us that are human beings, which is to say all of us in this room. We all have limits, and we all have potential, right? And so we're always kind of trying to manage this tension between our potential, right? Like our gifts and our capacities and our opportunities and our relationships and all these things that we have going for us. Um, We're always kind of living this tension between the potential of what we could be or do and the realities of our limitations, the realities of our limits. We all have limits, just like Moses, and we will be forced over time as we get older to face those limits, to face those limitations, those things that we can't do, those things that we can do but we shouldn't do because it's not good for us. It's not good for those around us. We see that throughout the Bible that um, one of the first things that God does when he raises up people is he begins to uh, show them their limitations, show them their limits, reveal to them areas where they're operating beyond their capacity. I think of uh, people like John the Baptizer in John chapter 1. John the Baptizer is a prophet to the people of Israel, and he calls people to repent and to faith in Jesus, and he has this large following. And then Jesus shows up in John chapter 1, and all of a sudden John the Baptizer now has to say, I am not the Christ. And his disciples are like, wait a minute, Jesus is taking your disciples, like, are you cool with that? Like, what's going on? Like, there's this kind of east side, west side battle, like, emerging between John the baptizer and Jesus. And and he says, no, I'm not the Christ. He must increase, I must decrease. He understood what he was not, as well as who he was, right? He understood his limits, and the limits of his calling, his identity, The Apostle Paul wrote a lot about this, a very gifted man, right, who God calls an intellectual, a scholar, uh, a missionary. He calls him into the work of ministry, and Paul uh, begins to face his limits, and he talks about his limitations a lot. Uh, 2 Corinthians is really Paul coming to grips with some of his own limitations and God teaching him how to embrace weakness and fragility in the midst of uh, the work that he was doing. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this, 4-7, but we have this treasure, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the power of God in jars of clay, in earthen vessels to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are frail. We are weak. We are of the earth. We are limited in our capacities. 
Remember that. Later on, he goes on to write this about his ministry. I mean, Paul's a very ambitious guy, but look at what he says about limits. We will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence, the field of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. There's some pride here of Paul as father of this church. But we don't boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be enlarged. Three times, Paul says, we must not boast beyond limit. We all have limits. The question is, do we acknowledge those? What do we do with those when we come face to face with them? Pete Scazzaro, uh, one of my favorite authors, wrote a book uh, that really kind of changed my life. It was a paradigm shift for me about 10 years ago as we were planting this church. It's called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And he says one of the, one of the things uh, that we all have to face in our journey towards health and wholeness is we must learn to face our limits. We must learn to, to deal with our limits. And he gives some different categories for limits. And so maybe think about these as invitations for you. Limitations are always invitations for us to see some things about ourselves that God wants us to own and to name. And so he talks about different limits that we have. And so um, this, for some of us, our limitations include our personality. I'll fill these up on the screen. Our personality introduces certain limitations in our life. Some of us are introverts, um, and there are limitations with that. There are gifts, and there are also limitations. Some of us are extroverts, and we don't think of extroversion as having limits, but it does. Like, I have a problem with silence. I tend to take up all the oxygen in rooms when I'm in them because I'm just talking blissfully unaware that everybody else doesn't want me to talk as much as I like to talk. There are limitations to that, right? There, you have personal limitations. Like, not every one of you can be or should be a CEO. Your personality is not geared to being a manager. Some of you uh, thought you should be doctors, and all of a sudden you find out, I'm not cut out for this. And there's this disillusionment of like, what do I do? I've spent seven years, eight years studying and passing my boards or getting into this job as a teacher only to find out that my personality, I'm not actually suited for it. So what do you do in that moment? Do you continue to press forward living out somebody else's story for your life or do you choose to live within your limits? Your personality has limitations. Um, Other categories he lists are season of life. Some of us are caring for elderly parents They're dying, they're getting sick, and that introduces certain limitations. If you're a parent of young children, enough said, right? Like, you have massive limitations, and you can't be doing everything at once. Some of you are in seasons of preparing, and you're in grad school, and that has certain limitations that you have to acknowledge, right? Uh, Life situations, singleness has different limitations. Some of you are single and you're like, oh, if I only got married. No, marriage has more limitations, right? Like there's all kinds of limitations as we move through different life situations. Uh, Our work, right, introduces certain limitations. just does. And we have to embrace that. Relationships kind of impinge on our lives in different ways. Our physical capacities. Some of us have massive physical capacities and we can handle a lot in our bodies, Some of us have debilitating illnesses and weaknesses and anxieties and things about us that just don't give us the bandwidth that others have. We have to go to bed at a certain time. We have to get up at a certain time. We don't have the same capacities as other people. We have certain emotional capacities, right? Some of us can handle fear. Some of us definitely can't handle fear. 
Some of us can handle joy. Some of us can't really handle joy. Some of us can handle anger. Some of us can't handle anger. We have different capacities emotionally, intellectually. Like, as much as we live in like an egalitarian society that wants to make everybody into the same mold and see everybody's the same, we're not. Some people are just smarter. Some people are wiser. Some people are smarter and more technically oriented. Some are more artistically oriented. Some are more relationally geared. And it's okay, right? Like we are the same in terms of being equal before God, but we are different in that the expression of that looks totally different for different people. Childhood wounds and losses, right? Put some limitations on us. We live with scars. And those are not bad. Those can be a gift. Henry Nouwen, another one of my favorites, says this about limits. Just as there are countless varieties of wine, there are countless varieties of lives. No two lives are the same. We often compare our lives with those of others, trying to decide whether we are better or worse off. But such comparisons do not help us much. We have to live our life, not someone else's. We have to hold our own cup. We have to dare to say, this is my life, the life that is given to me, and it is this life that I have to live as well as I can. My life is unique. Nobody else will ever live it. I have my own history, my own family, these are the limitations, my own body, my own character, my own friends, my own way of thinking, speaking, and acting. Yes, I have my own life to live. No one else has the same challenge. I am alone. There's a loneliness to it because I am unique. Many people can help me to live my life, but after all is said and done, I have to make my own choices about how to live. Thomas Merton, the Trappist monk, says it takes heroic humility to be you and only you. Now, what do we do when we're confronted with limits? We as Americans resent, I think, on the, on the whole, resent limits. We hate limits. We fight limits. We don't like to be limited, what do we like to do? We like to think of ourselves as limitless, right? We live culturally in a moment where there are these narratives around what it means to be human. Narratives like individualism and progress and meritocracy, right? That teach us if we just work hard enough, that if we can master technology and nature and we can build the right social networks, that we can overcome, that we can transcend that we can ignore our limitations, right? You can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. We always feel behind, right? Because we're always pressing on and trying to be all that we can be. I mean, this is what Disney's taught us, right? Since we're kids. All the Disney movies are all about progress and overcoming limitations. It's funny, all these Disney movies from my childhood are now coming back, like, into the theaters, so the last couple weeks, I've, seen my, I've taken my kids to see The Lion King and Aladdin. And, and I think the new Frozen's coming out again. There's like a second Frozen now. And you think about some of the lyrics of the songs that we love, that we sing. I mean, Aladdin, right? A whole new world. A new fantastic point of view. No one to tell us no. I'm going to put this in your head for the day. Or where to go. Or say we're only dreaming. Nobody can tell us what to do. Nobody can stop us. It's a whole new world. Frozen, right? Elsa's famous song. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free, right? That's that's what we grew up hearing is that we don't have to live within limits. We can be limitless. There was a movie about that. If you saw uh, the Bradley, uh, uh, whatever his last name is, uh, what is it? 
Bradley Cooper, yeah, the Bradley Cooper movie, Limitless, right? Like, like that, that's the dream, to be limitless. Wendell Berry, uh, one of my favorite poets and authors, also a Kentuckian, which is another reason that I like him. He, uh, he writes on this, he's written on this quite a bit. He's into agriculture reform and is an activist. And, and here's what he, he calls it, the disease of limitlessness. And here's what he says about this disease that for many of us, we would actually say is like the heroic dream. He says it's a disease. He says, in keeping with our unrestrained consumptiveness, the commonly accepted basis of our economy is the supposed possibility, possibility of limitless growth, limitless wants, limitless wealth, limitless natural resources, limitless energy, and limitless debt. It's the basis for Western society, he says, is limitless. The idea of a limitless economy implies and requires a doctrine of general human limitlessness. All are entitled to pursue without limit whatever they conceive as desirable, a license that classifies the most exalted Christian capitalist with the lowliest pornographer. This is the world in which we live. And like social media just aggravates that, right? Because we're always comparing ourselves against somebody else and always finding ourselves to not be where we should be, to not have what we should have, to not be able to keep up with, you know, if you're like a mom, it's like you're not the mommy blogger launching, you know, 20 businesses and you just, you're always feeling like a little sense of insecurity. And again, not against mommy bloggers. Great. Awesome. Do that. Be an influencer. But like live your life. That's not your life to live. That's somebody else's life to live. And how much of our lives are we creating where we're trying to live somebody else's story. I mean, Merton talks about trying to live in another man's city and build another man's house. He says it takes heroic humility to say, this is my life, the one that God's called me to live right here on the ground in this reality with my limits. And and this is not just a cultural problem. This is not just like the West doing this to us. This is a spiritual problem. This goes back to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? God says, don't eat from this tree. Limit. And Adam and Eve say, who do you think you are putting limits on us, right? And they eat from the tree. They're trying to transcend their limits. That's what the tree was all about. It wasn't just about rules. It was about drawing lines between creator and creature, limited and limitless, finite and infinite. Ronald Niebuhr, a, a theologian in the 20th century, said the essence of sin is the desire to overcome our limitations and finitude because of our anxiety about our creaturely limits. So, we resist limits, we resent limits. God invites us to receive limits, to receive the gift of limits. I mean, that's, that's what chapters 17 and 18 in many ways are about. There's a lot of different things that it's about, but at the core we see uh, Moses coming face to face with his limitations as a leader. He's weary, he's tired, he's burned out. He's not leading the people with wisdom and courage and humility. And so Jethro comes to him, and he calls this out, and, and her and Aaron kind of gather around him to support him. And what we see here is Moses learning to receive his limitations as a gift to be received, not as an obstacle to be overcome. Do you see your limits that way? Gift to be received from God, not as an obstacle to be overcome, not as something to be transcended or fought against or worked around or just ignored that's a hard lesson. I mean, we have a very young room here, right? That is a hard lesson to learn in your 20s. But as you get into your 30s and your 40s and your 50s, you realize, hey, I'm not the one. I'm not the Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. 
So Moses was finally at a place, I mean, again, reflecting back on this, he's 120 years old, something like that, in Deuteronomy. So it took a long time, right? Moses was finally at a place of maturity in his leadership to listen. He doesn't resist. He doesn't fight. He listens. He receives his limits, and he trusts God and other people, right? Because embracing our limits, receiving them as a gift, is an act of faith. It's one of the most subversive acts of faith that we can engage in. And remember that Moses had to learn this through failing over and over and over again. We oftentimes must learn our limits, not by reading some book, right? We learn oftentimes where our limits are. And again, because everybody has different limits. Like what one person can do and another person can do are completely different. And so it's easy to get judgy, you know, when we're like talking about limits. Well, you shouldn't be doing that. You got 10 jobs. Okay, maybe they have the capacity for 10 jobs. I don't. Right? So my anger and frustration is more with me than with you. But we only learn our limitations, and this is a word to older folks that are trying to mentor younger people. If you remember your own life, you learn your limitations usually by running past them and then experiencing the fallout and the negative effects of burnout and exhaustion and pain. Either pain for you or pain for those closest to you. That's how we learn. We learn by just pushing to our limits. But we also see that this, this requires a massive deconstruction, right? When we come face-to-face with our limits, to receive the gift of limits requires massive systemic deconstruction, right? Because we've built a life around not observing limits, trying to be limitless, right? We have certain behaviors and certain habits, and that's what we see with Moses, is that Jethro says, we're going to have to overhaul this system of your leadership in your life. Because you've become dependent and the people have become dependent on you to be this kind of person. That's why change can be so hard. It's because other people get addicted to us transcending our limitations and then dependent on us to do that. And so when I step back and I say, no, it makes people around me angry because they've learned to depend on me to transcend my limitations. When I begin to draw boundaries, when I begin to put up borders and say, I have to live within my limitations. It can be massively painful for not only us, but those around us. And so it requires, my point is, it requires massive systemic deconstruction and learning to rebuild with the help of wise, experienced allies. I mean, Jethro is a new Christian. We read about Jethro's conversion. He's a pagan priest, and he comes to know God through the testimony of Moses and through the Exodus, and then steps right into Moses' life and begins to give advice. I mean, that's what God does. God brings advice from unlikely places to help us rebuild our lives and live with our limitations. So don't, don't be afraid of God speaking to you in ways that are weird or outside the box. But this is maturity, right? Learning to live within our limits. Pete Scazzaro says this, maturity in life is when someone is living joyfully within their limits, within their God-given limits. Wendell Berry, again, goes on to say this, to recover from our disease of limitlessness, we will have to give up the idea that we have a right to be godlike animals, that we are potentially omniscient and omnipotent, which is the temptation of the garden, ready to discover the secret of the universe. We will have to start over with a different and much older premise, the naturalness and, for creatures of limited intelligence, the necessity of limits. We must learn again how to ask to ask how we can make the most of what we are, what we have, what we've been given. We always have a theoretically better substitute available from somebody or someplace else. We will never make the most of anything. 
It is hard to make the most of one life. If we each had two lives, we would not make much of either. Receive the gift of limits. Receive the gift of limits. Receive the gift of limits. How can limits and limitations be a gift? Let me just answer that question. We see limitations are a gift in the story because living within limits centers the community on God's power and presence. Centers the community on God's power and presence. Not on the gifts of Moses, not on the capacities of Moses, the competency of Moses. It centers the community on the presence and power of God, which is the whole point of the wilderness. Trust me, I'm going to give you what you need to survive, right? Living within our limits opens up space for what the Bible calls here in verse uh, 23 of 18, peace, or the word shalom, wholeness, flourishing. The only way we get to shalom is if we learn to embrace our creaturely limits, both as leaders and followers in every aspect of our lives, right? Because this was not just about setting up a judicial system. It was not just about organizational policy and administrative process. This was about a spiritual journey, right? This is about the people learning to order their lives around God's power and presence. And so Moses, not living within his limits, was hindering people from experiencing for themselves the presence and power of God. And that's what Jethro said. Everybody has to come to you to be the mediator. But that's not the way of God. The way of God is that everybody would know God for themselves. That's why they write down the Ten Commandments, right? It's about them having the law on their hearts, not in Moses' head. Living within our limits centers us on the power and presence of God. And that's why Moses says, when he writes us down and he creates this memorial, the Lord is our banner. That word banner is a military term for a rally point or the the, the flag, the signal to rally people. He's saying the Lord is the one, right? God is the one who delivers us from battle. God is the one that is with us in the midst of all the judicial and administrative headaches of being a large organization. It's about knowing God for ourselves. That's the possibilities. Peace, shalom, love, justice, all the things we care about, they're all rooted, he says, in learning to live within our limits. That's a lesson that we all have to learn. That's a lesson that I'm learning, like very personally. I don't know what that looks like for you. I'm learning that in this season of our church, that as the church has grown from nothing to, you know, seven or 800 people scattered across the city, I'm beginning to see ways, and I saw ways on my sabbatical, no surprises. My wife's been telling me for a while, uh, others around me have been telling me for a while, where we have pushed beyond our capacity as leaders, where I have pushed beyond my capacity as a leader. And I need to step back and again embrace the gift of limitations and to say, hey, this is not good for me. It's not good for my family. It's not good for this church. And so we are in the process now of like reorganizing once again so that we can move into the peace that God promises to us if we will live within our limits. And so let me just close and throw out a couple questions for you to maybe consider in your own journey. Because I don't know what this looks like for you. For Moses, uh, it looks one way. For John the Baptizer, it looks another way, right? Even Jesus, we know, had limitations. You know, Jesus had limitations. Jesus became human, which means he now, he's now finite, living in flesh, in a body. You know, Jesus didn't heal everybody. He said no more than he said yes. Didn't heal everybody, didn't go to every event. Only picked 12 disciples. In the garden, he's praying, Father, if 
if you can take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He limits his will. He limits his power. He limits his miracles. He refuses to turn stones into bread. He refuses to throw himself off a temple when he's tempted by Satan. Jesus himself modeled what it looked like to live within limitations for the good of others. He went to the cross. Not my will, but yours be done. He brought about shalom. There's the invitation for us in our limitation. So let me just ask you these questions and maybe something for you to consider as we go to communion. Who am I and what has God called me to do? Right? Who's the only you, as Henry Allen says, that only you can be you? There's a famous story of a rabbi that said, when he says uh, to one of his disciples, when you get to heaven, he's not going to ask you, why, why weren't you more like Zusa? This rabbi's name is Zusa. He's going to ask you, why were you more, not more like you? What's keeping you from being the you that God has called you to be in Christ? And what does it mean for you to live out the calling that God has for you with all of the limits that that introduces? What limits do you need to receive in this season of life? Just write them down. Like, this is a limit for me right now. I need to embrace this joyfully. It's from God. Where am I trying to live outside my limits in ways that are hurting me and hurting those around me? Where am I running at a pace that's unsustainable for me, for my family, for my limitations in this unique season that God has me, my capacities? What do I need to say no to in order to say yes to shalom? That's what God is inviting us to see in this story. And I pray that he will continue to show himself to you as you seek to live within the limits of your humanity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness that you have placed limits on us to teach us that we are weak, but also that you are strong, to teach us to create space for you to be God and for us to not be God, because things go bad when we try to be God. We ruin ourselves and those around us. And so God, help us to live with humility, joyfully under the limits that you place for us, to acknowledge those, to name those, and to receive those, not to resent them, not to fight them, not to try to move around them, but to receive them as gifts from you so that we as a community might live within our limits and our calling as a people here in the city of Indianapolis and so that we might experience your flourishing, so that we might be centered on your power and your presence and not our own. God, we want you to work powerfully among us, but you cannot, you set limits on that. You will not if we seek to be grandiose, if we seek to be big, if we seek to squeeze you out towards the margins. So God, help us to, to find ourselves within the proper limitations and the boundaries that you've placed for us so that you can show up and work powerfully. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.